She's on the money. She's on the money. (laughs) Hello and welcome to She's on the Money, the podcast for millennials who want financial freedom. Have you ever wondered why some people are really good at saving and others splash their cash like it's going out of fashion? Well, there's a good chance that those people have very different spending personalities, which is exactly what we're going to discuss on the pod today. My name is Jessica Rickey, and joining me today to get to the bottom of the psychology of spending is financial advisor and psych grad, Victoria Devine. Hey, I feel really relevant today. I know it's just like a real melding of all of your skills right now. Exactly. It's like mushing them together and going, guys, this is important. Absolutely. V, why are some people so good at spending and others are so good at saving? Oh, just because they are. End of podcast, wrap it up. We are done. Thank you for coming. But at the end of the day, we all have different thoughts, values, beliefs and behaviors. And you might not be good at saving, but I bet you're good at something else. And those that are really good at saving are probably not great at everything that you do. And to be honest, it is a skill that we get to learn over time and we can actually teach ourselves to be really good at saving, just like we can teach ourselves another language or times tables if we never learned them. It does have a lot to do with your money story and the way that you're brought up and your personality type. And some people do feel a real sense of accomplishment when they're able to save and they're able to forgo the temptation to spend and it can make them feel really good about themselves and really in control. On the flip side, there are some people that are like, Victoria, that does not motivate me in the slightest. Like you could not get me to do it for those reasons. And that's where we really need to understand intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and what genuinely motivates you as a person to spend or to save. And one of the key differences is just in a way of thinking, good savers think of their money as something to put away for future them. And spenders often take more joy from the instant gratification that spending actually provides them with. So it's different horses for different courses and there's no good and no bad, but I am assuming that that because you're listening to the She's on the Money podcast, you might want to be a bit of a better saver. And I know, Jess, you and I are going to get to that very quickly. Absolutely, we are. And I think you kind of just said this before when you said that saving can be like learning another language. But can people change the way that they've always thought about money? If I've always been a spender, for example, can I become a great saver? Well, you can, but like, let's just talk about this for a hot second to get real personal on Jess. Jess, we know you've not always been a spender. You're a savvy little saver. I know it. I am, but I, <laughs> and I'm kind of preempting the question here, but I definitely was not always this way. Yeah, um, but you've done really well. And I don't like that you use the example. You're like, oh, like, am I a spender? And I'm like, no, I know you well enough and I'm going to throw you under a bus here. But if you genuinely are a spender and you want to become a great saver, you can absolutely create that and just like learning a language it can feel really overwhelming and really hard and like something that you definitely couldn't comprehend but I guarantee you there are people that are not as smart as you that have done multiple languages so you absolutely can get a hold of that and these behaviors are actually just what we lean to naturally and just because we have an inclination to start acting a certain way doesn't mean we can't just put a plan in place to actually improve our financial situation and learn how to budget and learn how to save and learn how to 
put future us first. So if you're looking for examples of people who've changed their mindset or done it, we actually don't have to look further than the She's on the Money community. And I'm genuinely so grateful that we have so many good examples of people in the community who have done that. And I thought that this week, maybe we could put a thread in the Facebook group and just ask people like how they've changed their financial situation. One, so we can celebrate, but two, because sometimes that motivates us knowing that other people in a similar situation to us have already done it. Like how good is it when you're like, oh, is that possible? And then you get an example where it's like, hey, I had $10,000 worth of debt. I've smashed it down and now I have $10,000 in my savings account and it took me two years to do that. Like how cool would that be? Yeah, I love that. I'll definitely pop that in. Um, And so I guess like on the psychology side of things, what is the relationship like between money and control? They are inherently linked. Money enables you to control your life. And to flip that, money can control your life, not in a positive way. So I think it's really interesting to see how it actually comes together. Like, if you don't have enough money, you can feel really bound by it and controlled by it. But if you do have a good income and you are really comfortable when it comes to money, you can actually feel really in control of your life. Regardless of whether you earn $40,000 or $400,000, your budget and cash flow plan is actually going to be the thing that helps you feel in control of one, your financial future, but two, money in general. And I think it's really important to link these really closely. And too often we see people who go, you know, money doesn't actually have that much to do with it. It's all about happiness. It's about this, that, the other, like it's about control. And in reality, money is inherent to everything that we do. Money enables us the freedom, the time. It enables us to put a roof over our head and eat the food that we want to do and essentially control our lives, whether that is, you know, really extravagant or just day to day. Like if you don't have enough money, that is going to negatively impact you and it doesn't feel nice and it doesn't feel good. So I think understanding that there is a relationship there, but you actually have control over it yourself, regardless of what your income is and regardless of whether you're in debt right now is really important. It's like that saying money can't buy happiness, which is true, but also it does make life a hell of a lot easier, really, doesn't it? If you're not struggling for money. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that That's really important because there's some science to that as well. And they say that there is a cap of happiness and I'll find the proper quote later. We're just having a bit of a bant at the moment, but I'm pretty sure that once you start earning over $75,000 a year, your happiness doesn't increase in the same way that your income does anymore. Whereas if you were- That's so interesting. Yeah. I genuinely think it's really interesting because, you know, we've all been there and we've all had incomes where we've earned, you know, my first grad job, I think I earned like $45,000 and it was really- challenging because I would say I had a relatively expensive lifestyle just because I was going out with my girlfriends. I was renting at the time, but I also had debt. So a lot of that money coming into my bank account was made up of debt repayments. But I find it really interesting because at that time, money really stressed me. But as time went on and I've earned more money, I feel more comfortable, but I can absolutely see how it works because Once you start earning over $75,000, usually you have a lot more responsibility and that doesn't necessarily equate to happiness or income satisfaction. And I find that so interesting. I actually, off the back of this, I've been looking at doing some further study because I'm a psychopath. Really? I didn't know that. 
No, and at some point, and I definitely don't have time yet. And can you imagine if I told you that I was going to go back to uni now? You'd be like, um, I would no, laugh in your not. face. I'd be like, don't you dare. You'd be like, I will withdraw you from uni myself. <laughs> but I would love to do some further study. And I know this sounds so nerdy, but like a PhD, but on behavioral finance and what the relationship yeah. between money and happiness and wealth creation and life satisfaction is. And I just find that so interesting. But furthering that, I feel like I have such a beautiful platform to gather all the data and do a really impactful study as well. Like, can you imagine how cool it would be to go, all right, she's on the money, Victoria's doing her PhD and wants to do this really intense investigation into life satisfaction and money and how happy we are as millennials and what that actually looks like. Do you know how exciting that would be? Yeah, the psychology of it is so interesting. And especially because we see this a lot on our money diaries, V. We hear people who have transformed their relationship with money for the better. They've gone from being crazy spenders to savvy savers, but then they have a bit of a hard time spending money on things for themselves. What do you think is behind that? Oh, there are so many things behind that. All right. So first things first is they've gone too far the other way and that's not sustainable. That's like going on a crash diet and then expecting you to never binge eat at any point or, you know, fall back into old habits because they're more comfortable. And when people say they've transformed their relationship with money for the better, I think it's so exciting. But I also think that balance is a really big part of that and actually giving ourselves some breathing room to do the things that we love or you know buy a pair of shoes every so often so a good budget and cash flow plan will always take into consideration lifestyle expenses and going out for breakfast with our friends because sometimes it is really hard when we've been in debt and we've gone really aggressive on paying down that debt and once we've got that we're now saving aggressively And then we find that we're not treating ourselves or looking after current us when they really need to be looked after as well. And I think a lot of people harbor a lot of guilt and they feel really bad when they start spending money on themselves because it's reflective of old behaviors. Like, for example, if you were in uh, a whole heap of credit card debt and the reason you got into credit card debt was because you just really liked fashion and that really added up. I can see why buying another dress might make you feel extra guilty because it's reminding you of a trauma. It's reminding you of something that you did historically that got you in a fair bit of trouble and you never want to be there again and it feels like the start of a slippery slope whereas if you actually allocate money to the side and go you know what as much as I am not in debt anymore I still do really love fashion and I really want to put some money aside to be able to buy a dress every so often like maybe you're not buying them as regularly but maybe once every couple of months you do treat yourself to a new dress it should be in your budget because we need to look after current us it's not always about the destination we need to make sure we also enjoy the journey that makes a lot of sense and I feel like it's a good time here V to talk about marketing and how that can really influence the way we do want to spend our money and And manipulate us exactly right when we're a little bit you know down on ourselves or feeling a little weaker how does marketing inform the way that we do choose to spend Oh my gosh, I wish I'd done a whole heap of research before you'd asked me this question, but massively. Like, what do you think marketing is? It's a billion dollar industry designed to make us spend more money. Like, that's the point, right? Like, I was checking out the other day online and I had decided to purchase a dress. It was for my birthday, so it was a planned purchase. I'm not being irresponsible, I promise. But the amount of upsell I got on that, like, do you want express shipping? Okay, no. Oh, did you 
see these shoes that really go with this dress like or down the bottom that bottom bar that's like most people also bought this item with that yeah. item. I'm like stop that that's and the rude. abandoned carts that we spoke about a little while ago like they pour so much money into studies and research and have entire departments that are dedicated to convincing you that you need something and then beyond that we look at um, you know, product placement in television and film, which is a little less apparent and it's less regulated publicly than things like influencers on Instagram. And oh my gosh, but again. it is so true. And it infiltrates yeah. every single part of our lives. Like I remember when I was a bit younger and I used to be obsessed with the TV show Suits, you know, Megan Markle oh, was I on loved that, that show. And yeah. I wanted to be Rachel. Like her outfits were so sassy. And at that time in my life, I was working in corporate and I wanted to channel my Megan Markle vibes. And I really wanted to be like her. I literally would Google what outfit she had. Like that was, you know, marketing in a way that was infiltrating my everyday life and the TV shows that I watched and convinced me I needed things that I didn't actually need. But marketing these days is getting smarter. And I think that we need to remember that as well. So no longer is it me watching a Suits episode and going and Googling and trying to find it out myself. Our phones now listen to us and suggest things, or they might see that, you know, Jess, you text me a cute pair of shoes and now it's on my phone. And so my phone somehow has picked it up and put it into my algorithm on Instagram. So I get served targeted marketing ads. Like how many times have you been on Instagram after having a conversation about a specific product that you've literally never looked up? And all of a sudden that's all you can find on the internet. Yeah. It's like low-key creepy, isn't it? It is really (laughs) creepy. And to be honest, I think that as much as we say it's creepy, it's kind of like... It's really cool and it's really interesting, but fundamentally it does sketch me out a little bit, especially as we were saying, those hidden ones where it's not, you know, you don't have a paid partnership tool hanging over your head everywhere you walk. You can't tell what's marketing sometimes. Exactly. And I think that it's interesting as well because, you know, we get up in arms about privacy and, you know, obviously privacy is really important and we're like, oh my gosh, they're using our data badly. But I think we need to remember as well that if a big company is marketing to us, they're not seeing Victoria Divine on a piece of paper and going, all right, she wants the shoes. Guys, send her the shoe ad like right now. (laughs) Yep, she's online. They're actually just running algorithms in the back. They're not actually learning about who we are as individuals. They're actually learning about our spending behavior. And I think that's interesting. But something I also find interesting, Jess, is we always get up in arms about like, you know, our privacy being taken away from us. But like, here we are on Instagram, sharing our locations, our <laughs> publicizing <laughs> our lives, you know, tagging items that we've bought, you know. And I think that if we're genuinely worried about it, we need to be more conservative about what we share online because, you know, if someone wanted to start collecting, well, what date is Victoria's birthday? I'm sure that they could find that despite the fact that I've talked about it on a podcast before, or if they wanted to find out what type of shoes I really like wearing, I'm sure you could find that out. So I think that if we want to talk about privacy, and this is clearly not the debate that we're having on the podcast today, but we need to just remember that a lot of the information that's out there, we ourselves have put out there on our own without marketing companies coming and stealing it from us. Yeah, I think that's totally fair and definitely some food for thought. After a very short break, we will be discussing the different types of spenders, so please don't go anywhere. All right, 
right, Victoria. So I did some stalking, had a little look through the budget and cash flow masterclass, and I found some of your money personality types, which I want us to talk through right now. So we have the high Excuse rollers. Me, are you trying to give away my content on the masterclass for free on this podcast, Jessica Ricci? Absolutely, I am. Yeah, okay, carry on. So what have we got? <laughs> so we have a couple of different categories. We have the high rollers, the optimist, the entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the hunters, the perfectionists, the safety players, the achievers, the money masters, and the producers. Can you talk us all through them? All right, I'll talk you through them. But before I talk you through them, I don't want to take credit for these. These are actually from research done by a fabulous woman called Catherine Gurney. And in the masterclass, I like go through all of it and give you a very beautiful PDF. But I'll go through them at just a really high level because I think that once I read all of these out, Jess, I think you'll be able to tell which one you are. And I want you to share at the end. So you better be listening. So first you said high rollers. And these guys, they're like the thrill seekers who do like taking financial risks. So for people like this, money brings instant power and recognition. And usually they're creative, extroverted, and pretty competitive. And this type of person, they prefer to risk their assets rather than be bored by what they think financial security looks like. So these are the types of people that would be super comfortable buying cryptocurrencies or investing in something they haven't done heaps and heaps of research in because they just take risks. And usually they do this in a number of areas of their life, right? Then we have optimists. And for optimists, money brings them peace of mind and joy. And they're usually more interested in enjoying money than making it grow. They're not so interested in investing because they're kind of like, well, YOLO, like we only live once. We really want to spend it now. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination, Victoria. And they're not usually highly involved with their money or their taxes or their investments. And this is usually because they find it a little bit stressful. So these friends are the ones that bury their heads in the sand. They're not in a whole heap of money distress, but they definitely aren't on the right path when it comes to creating financial security. The next category you mentioned was entrepreneurs. And these guys, these are high income earners who enjoy the power and prestige of money. This is not me, albeit I am an entrepreneur. Like I wish I was some kind of like high roller, high bowler who enjoyed the power and prestige of money. It sounds really nice, doesn't it? (laughs) It's not who I am, but mostly the entrepreneurs, they're male dominated and they are driven by a passion for excellence and achievement. And they usually invest in the stock market as their favored strategy. So these guys aren't about the super high risk, but they usually take on a fair bit more risk than someone who's a safe player, which I'll get to in a hot second. Then we have hunters and these guys are highly educated. They are above average income earners and they tend to spend and invest pretty impulsively. So this is unfortunately, I don't mean to be stereotypical here, but this is just like the facts behind the research. I'm not just pulling these examples out of somewhere and being like, it's like um, a Sagittarius, but (laughs) these are mostly female. So usually a hunter is a female and they attribute financial success more to luck than ability or judgment, which is not the case. That is a false narrative, but it's what they believe, right? Classic females. Classic females. I know. Can we cut that out? Like, I didn't like that one because- I don't want you guys to think it's luck. Like, and I say this to our team all the time, Jess, like sometimes you guys will be like, oh, that's so lucky. And I'll be like, no, that wasn't lucky. You worked for that. No, that wasn't lucky. You didn't accidentally end up here. And like, I love doing that because I know that people (laughs) appreciate it, but I also get really frustrated because we shouldn't be 
saying that everything's luck, but it's really common, right? So it's not a bad thing if you're a hunter. Celebrate your successes, ladies. Literally. Get it, girl. All right. And then we have perfectionists. Um, and this one might feel familiar, Jessica Ricci. <laughs> as soon as I heard you guys, say that, I was like, I think I know what you think I Are am. you ready? <laughs> are you ready? So a perfectionist is so afraid of making a mistake that they often avoid decision-making altogether. They'll consider every single angle and they'll find fault where practically any risky venture exists. They usually want to start investing, but they get analysis paralysis over what to start investing in and they don't Mm -hmm. know where to go and what next step to take. And usually they're good savers because they're saving for a rainy day and they're worried about the risks that exist. And they often find finding investments that they want to invest in kind of challenging because they've got such high standards. Mm, Super relatable. Super relatable. (laughs) All right. Well, this next one might be a little bit relatable too, because sometimes I feel like people can fit into more than one category. Like I want you to pick one, but at the end of the day, sometimes we can't just be put into a box, Jessica. Sometimes we actually need to pick a number of them and that's okay. The idea behind these kind of money personalities isn't to be like, oh, you fit in that box. It's actually so that you can learn more about yourself. Because once you have this personality, you can start learning more about what are the personality types associated with this label and how can I actually look at strategies that are developed for people who have this in mind and I think that that can be really helpful yeah absolutely so the next one which I feel like you might resonate with too I feel like I'm attacking you on this podcast I'm sorry I do really like (laughs) coming for my brand (laughs) yeah coming for you the next one is safety players and these guys are average earners who prefer secure investments they lack confidence and motivation to take more calculated risks even though they are really well educated they feel they're doing fine financially and they often just repeat investment strategies that seem to work so these guys might go all right well you know my parents bought an investment property therefore I will be buying an investment property that sounds like a good idea because they don't want to take new risks or discover new things so then we have the achievers and the achievers are the second highest income earners to the next group that I'm going to talk about. And they usually are college graduates or they are, you know, university educated. They aren't people who just finished year 12 and usually they're married. <laughs> so I don't know why That's that is. That's a really is. niche thing, I isn't know it? it's niche, but usually they're married. All right. That's why the research is so interesting. I know they feel hard work, diligence and effort will pay off over time. So these guys are like, no, you just work really hard and then you'll be able to retire. And that's what we're working towards. They're really proud of their accomplishments and they tend to recoil at the idea of other people managing their money decisions. So these people don't usually like financial advisors to step in and go, okay, cool. Here's a strategy because they want to work it out themselves. And the number one priority for this group is asset protection. They just don't want to lose anything. So they've achieved so much and they don't want to feel like they're going backwards, which is honestly totally relatable. The next one is the number one wealth accumulators. These guys are called the money masters. Is it just me or is that really tacky? It sounds, I don't know why it sounds like a D grade superhero to me. A money master. (laughs) No, I really like that. Maybe it's like the she's on the money superhero. If there's any like illustrators in our community, can you please make that into? Uh, Please hit us up. We can can use an illustrator actually. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, I know. We actually could. (laughs) Illustrator copywriter. If you've heard this on the podcast and you've gotten this far into this podcast and you still want to hang out with us, slide into our DMs, my friends. We need you. All right. But our money master friends, they actually rank first in the degree of desired involvement with their money. So they're 
all over it. They love it and they enjoy participation. So these are honestly, as a financial advisor, my dream client, they want to be across all of it. They want to understand it. They're really excited about it. You know, they want to be a part of it and they trust the recommendations of others and they actually act on sound advice. So there are some people in the world that will get financial advice and then not act on it because it's just too much. These guys, they're gung-ho, they're getting it. And they see their success as being determined through their philosophy, not through luck, not through education, just through their mindset. These guys are like, no, I'm going to be successful. It doesn't matter if I didn't go to school. It doesn't matter if I didn't go to uni. doesn't matter if I, you know, work corporately. Like these guys genuinely believe that their success is from their mindset. And I think that's pretty cool. And then last, but definitely not least, we have the producers. So these guys, they rank high in work ethic, but low in income earned due to the lack of self-confidence and money management skills. They work really hard. They desire more and they feel that they have difficulty getting ahead financially and financial investment education helps these guys significantly. So the important thing here is you don't have to stay in your money personality group forever. Like you're not going to be a producer forever, but it's really important to identify that if you are great, like you need more financial literacy because nobody deserves to have a lack of self-confidence in money management skills. Like everybody deserves to feel empowered and motivated when it comes to money. And even if you're not going to be, you know, Elon Musk and you're not going to become a billionaire, like at least let's put those money management skills to work and actually get them working for you. That's so interesting. Um, Bit of a silly question potentially, but are any of these personalities good or bad inherently? Is one better than the other? Should we be aspiring to be, you know, one of those particular people? Should we aiming for money master status? No, absolutely not. And that's not a silly question because I guess if I list off a whole bunch of money personalities, people can be like, oh, well, I'm this one because it's better. There's no good. There's no bad. It's actually about understanding you. And like everything else in life, your response to money is largely dictated by your money story and your personality. But most people haven't given much thought on how we actually behave in regard to our finance and how that behavior actually affects our bank accounts and how much money is on our statements and how much money comes in and goes out. And it's so much more than, oh, well, you've got a good paying job. Therefore, you must be able to, you know, save and invest a lot. Like that's not the case. And I talk a lot about, you know, money stories and how that's ingrained, but money personalities, they help us understand ourselves, especially if our money story is, you know, something that isn't constructive. Like it's, hey, well, what am I? Can you just put me in a category so I can start learning about these? And if you can understand your money personality, I genuinely believe it's the first step and will actually be able to help you approach how you want to be saving, spending and investing. And now I guess I feel a little bit like I showed you mine, so you should show me yours. The, um, which <laughs> can we play a game then? You? Can you yeah. guess? Can you guess? I know Ooh, exactly okay. what I am. Um... I feel like you are an achiever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you work really hard and I feel but then I do feel like you are sometimes not 
crazy asset protection. Sometimes I feel like you see something and you're like, I've looked into that and researched that and I'm just going to give it a red hot go and see what happens. Yeah, and I would agree. But I think that when it comes to asset protection for me, like I would never risk everything. Yeah, of Like course. I'm quite, like I, I think I would shock you if you said, oh, like what are you doing? And I'd be like, well, we remortgaged our house to do X, Y, Z. Like there's no way I would ever do that and like Mm -hmm. you know you know me personally well enough to know that you know paying off my mortgage is a really big priority because I want to get rid of that and I am really proud of you know the hard work I put into things but protecting my assets is genuinely my primary consideration because if I don't have those I can't provide to other people and you know I don't like feeling like I've lost something and I'm not big into you know punting and that's probably because I am educated in this space like I'm not just going to go buy a share because someone at the pub recommended it it's just not who I am but in saying that I'm going to do my research and you know as an achiever I don't feel like investing is risky because I know so much about it so like when I look at protecting my assets investing for the long term is actually working in line with that like I genuinely don't see as much risk as a lot of people who maybe don't have such an education on investment right whereas you who's a little bit more you know you're I think you're in that perfectionist group mm-hmm. if that's fair I would, to I would say agree with that. yeah for sure like I feel like you need to do heaps and heaps and heaps of research but you feel really autonomous in the decisions that you make every day in your career because that's just your career right like you know exactly yeah. what you're talking about like when it comes to content like you're like yep cool that'll work that won't work I couldn't yeah. I couldn't do that I've got no idea and I think that a lot of the time we often think that we're not smart or we're not achieving or we're not like who we need to be just because it's not our full-time job yeah whereas I know Jess to share too much with the she's on the money community <laughs> you have started investing but yes. you've started investing because you got advice and because you felt comfortable with it and you'd yeah. had enough time to ponder and work out whether the risk outweighed the return and what that actually looked like for you and I know for perfectionists it says that finding suitable investments is difficult I know that you were like oh I just don't know what the right one is and I'm looking <laughs> you're for not this wrong and that. And yeah like <laughs> you do it we're not saying that these people don't invest or save it's just the initial approach and once you can really comprehend that and understand that you go okay well if that's my personality type like what could I look into it it's like Myers-Briggs right like I feel like people use that to just learn about themselves and once they learn about themselves they can do some research and go well I'm introverted or I'm extroverted this is how I would you know adapt to a certain social situation or a particular job or this is how I process things and I find that it's actually really helpful and I'm really into like Myers-Briggs and stuff like that maybe because of my background in psychology but I genuinely feel like it helps me understand people more as well like once you know someone's personality type and whether they're introverted or extroverted you usually know what they will tolerate and not tolerate and you know that if they're a bit flat like should I just leave them alone or do they actually need someone to come over and help them and to be honest I'm just a bit pervy when it comes to all things personality types and money and like yeah that's that's me and that's you know just what makes me excited but I guess now I'm thinking like what's your Myers-Briggs have you ever done it I have it was going around I remember on we did it when I was in school because I took psychology like we took it as part of our course when we learned about it and then I took it a few years later and it was really interesting because my personality type had changed and the change that I saw kind of aligned with how I had changed as a person since high school so I'm pretty sure I was an INF Jay. No. What? 
That's my personality type. Are you kidding? I am currently an INFJ. Wait, have you moved from that or have you moved to that? No, that's what I moved to. So I think, no. I think before my, I was an INTJ. J. Yeah. I changed from thinking oh, to feeling. Do you know like, what? That makes so much sense. People tell us all the time that we're like the same person. Now we know why we actually <laughs> are the same person. Do you know that that's like not a common personality type? Is it really type? not? Like people literally, like if you've got that one, I'm always like, oh, really interesting. Like that's not common at all. Like I never find people that say that they're the same Myers-Briggs as me. Wow. <laughs> Some people will be like, oh, well, I'm extroverted. And I'm like, no, I'm introverted. But like, yeah. I think that people assume I'm extroverted because of the rest of my personality traits. But like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I do not get my energy from being extroverted. In fact, it takes all my energy and I just need to recuperate and be by myself and yeah. you know enjoy my own company. That's actually I'm so exactly funny. Okay. So the, the scale is we are introverted, but it's extroverted or introverted. Then it's senses or intuitives. Then it's thinkers versus feelers. Then it's judges versus perceivers. And I find that it's so interesting. In fact, Jess, we'll put a link in the show notes because this has nothing to do with this topic, but I feel (laughs) like people are going to be interested because we are. And I want to know if other people have the same personality type as us. Like, can you imagine if there are more of us out there? Oh, Lord, help us. But (laughs) I'll put a link in the show notes so that we can all do the MBTI uh, for free because that's really fun. And sometimes it's just really interesting to see what type of personality we are. But let's get back on track and talk more about the psychology of money, not necessarily more about the psychology of psychology, but (laughs) yeah, interesting nonetheless, I think. Well, I think we've actually just about covered off on everything we wanted to today. Yeah, I think we probably should wrap it here and not carry on because we've talked a lot about Myers-Briggs. We've talked a lot about different money personality types. And I think it's really interesting. But to summarize this at the end of the day, like you have complete control over what type of money personality you are or what you lean more into. And I think it's really important to remember that you're not in one bucket or not. It's actually a scale and there's no such thing as you're either in introverted or you're extroverted like you are actually on a sliding scale and some people are far more introverted than others whereas some people are far more extroverted than others it's on a scale and I want people to remember that because you're not one thing or the other you're not a perfectionist or a money master like you could be a mix of both and it's more about learning about you and what resonates most with you and then using it to your advantage like if you are a perfectionist you need to do more research. You need to fully comprehend the decisions you're making. And if investing is something that you really, really want to start doing, you need to start thinking about how you can get more comfortable with it rather than going, oh, but, you know, other people are more comfortable with this. Why am, why am I not? Because we're all different and that's okay. And that's arguably what makes this so exciting is because we're all different people doing different things and the She's on the Money community gets to bring it all together and we're a space where we get to share all those journeys. And how boring would it be if we were all INFJs? Like, what? That would 10, be 10,000 Victorias running around. Oh imagine? my <laughs> gosh. I feel bad for anybody who is now. I'm like, I feel you, girl. I feel you. It's hard. 
hard out here. All right, I think that is more than enough from us today. We have absolutely fallen off track, but I hope you loved this podcast nonetheless. But just before we head off, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They're the traditional custodians of the lands, the waterways and the skies all across Australia. We thank you for sharing and for caring for the land on which we are able to learn. We pay our respects to elders past and present and we share our friendship and our kindness. The advice shared on She's on the Money is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances. She's on the Money exists purely for educational purposes and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. And or even a personality one, it seems. Oh uh, yeah, don't consult us, consult Myers Briggs. And we promise Victoria Divine is an authorized representative of Australia Pacific Funds Management Proprietary Limited, ABN 34132463257, AFSL 33915. And as always, we would adore it if you joined our Facebook group where our community shares money tips and tricks every single day of the week, free of judgment. Search She's on the Money on Facebook and join us if Facebook's not your thing. We're on Instagram. We play a lot on TikTok. We're everywhere. And, don't and Victoria has to- a book. Oh my gosh, I have a book, guys. It is so fun. If you're not sick of us and you haven't got enough She's on the Money in your ears, go and download the audiobook because I actually read it all myself. And if not, there is also a physical copy and a, a legit digital book. copy as well. You can do it whatever way There's you like. There's no excuses, my friends. There's anyway, really we will see you for another deep dive next week. Bye. Bye.